of reading in uh, World War II material, and, and I've been doing that since, oh, uh, since I, I think since I was about 13 years old. An another area of reading that I do a lot of, so I, I do a lot of theology reading, I do a lot of World War II reading, and I do uh, a fair amount of uh, science fiction fantasy reading. Now, in that genre, there is a lot of garbage that's out there, a lot of you know, when you go to the, um, the the fantasy section at Barnes and Noble or something, you walk by and, and there's always like you know a guy with a loincloth and a big sword swinging a sword and a, and a gal like in some bikini thing. There's a lot of trash out there with this with this genre of, uh, of of literature, but there's a lot of good stuff as well. And I have always been a, even as a young man, kind of been. Uh, had a very active imagination. I love to read uh, fantasy books, sci-fi fantasy books. And even today, you know, now that I'm 53 years old, I'm a sucker for a book that has a dragon and a magic sword, you know. I mean, I just like these kinds of adventures. I brought some of the books that I've read here because there are some, there are some good things out there. Uh, starting out in space, because I like to do some science fiction reading, uh, C.S. Lewis has a tremendous trilogy, the Space Trilogy. He wrote this post-World War II, but you know C.S. Lewis, Narnia, and Mere Christianity, and all that. It's one of those books that I just really love to read, and it's redemptive in nature, and if you like to think about going to other planets, C.S. Lewis has a great story for you. There's a more recent book by uh, Tashin Lui uh, from China. He wrote uh, this, this trilogy, The Three-Body Problem. And uh, this, is, this is pretty heady kind of stuff. You really have to be into uh, astronomy. And if you wonder about traveling the universe in the fourth dimension, this is just a tremendous uh, story right there. Uh, Stephen Lawhead has wrote the, uh, the Song of Albion trilogy. If you like good, um, redemptive kind of stories and you like some Kel the Celtic uh, uh, worldview, this is a great. This is a great series right here by Stephen Lawhead. Uh, just tremendously rec recommend that. And all these, by the way, are like PG. They're they're easy to read because I want to tell you something. You know, like I said, there's some really rough stuff out there. Now I'm going to say something that uh, might step on some toes, okay? But that I'm your pastor, so you're paying me to do that, right? Yes, pastor. Please step on my toes, right? So I'm going to tell you that, you know, because uh, I read a lot, and, you know, sci-fi, fantasy, and so people ask me, well, have you read, do you watch Game of Thrones? I do not. Uh, I started reading it back, like, whatever, 12 years ago, and got, like, a third of the way through it, and saw, okay, I see where this is going, you know, and then when the movie started coming out, I just want to tell you, my opinion, you know, this is really, uh, I think we're, all the kids are gone. These books and movies, really, it's soft pornography is really what it is. There's some really bad stuff in there, so I do not read Game of Thrones. If you watch it, I'm not, please don't, you can get mad at me, actually, right? You can go ahead and get mad at me or something, but I'm just going to tell you, hey, listen, we ought not to be looking at some of the, that stuff that's on there. Amen. Okay, so be careful what you're watching. What started it all for me, of course, in sci-fi fantasy was the first time as a young boy of somewhere around 12, I read The Lord of the Rings, right? Who doesn't love the, the magic ring and Frodo and dragons and this Gandalf, the wizard? This is what started it all for me and really got me on this road of, of enjoying 
science fiction, fantasy books, and using my imagination. So you might say, Pastor, okay, this is a sermon, and why are we talking about these books? Well, there's a very good reason for it, is that I think one of the issues in today's church, and I don't mean this church, I'm talking the church at large, is that we have lost our imagination when it comes to God. And I would have to say that as a preacher, that I am pretty guilty of preaching an intellectual God. An academic God. Because even though I enjoy being carried away on a story with magic rings and dragons and, and wizards and everything, I am also very much uh, a person who enjoys getting into the, into the deeper, finer points of theology. And, and there's some really good in that. But I'd have to be honest and say that as I look back at my preaching career through the years, that predominantly it has been an intellectual, academic God, a God that if we could just figure out, then things would be okay. A God that if we could just convince people of and argue people into the kingdom based on doctrine, then everything would be okay. But I want to, what I want to present to you with this, uh, with this sermon series that uh, I don't really know how long it's going to go, few weeks, I want to talk to you about experiencing God. And one of the things you're going to hear me say over and over is that the lack of experience that we have with God is because I believe that part of it, not all of it, but part of it is because we've lost our imagination. We've lost our wonder. We've lost our sense of the Ezekiel chapter 1 and 2 God. I know I've mentioned this before in previous sermons, but if you've never read Ezekiel 1 and 2, I'm telling you, go home and read it today, your mind will be blown. But we've lost our imagination with God, and we've made it just intellectual. A God to be figured out. And if you'll allow me to say it this way, a God who, if we're honest with ourselves, is kind of boring. And so, if God is kind of boring, then how are we ever going to experience this God? Mind you, I am not saying that theology or study is boring in any way. And this is, this is the, you know, the, a major part of my life, and it's very invigorating to me. When I am getting dry spiritually, you know, I go for some, some heavy-duty theology. It, it, it revives my soul. So I'm not saying that it is boring, but what I'm saying is that when God is an intellectual, academic God... And we don't experience him as real, then he can become boring. And what I want to do over the next few weeks is try to get us back to experiencing God. You see, I think we have a crisis of uh, what I call a crisis of real things. A crisis of real things. We know that our bills are real. Someone say amen. Amen. Right? They never stop coming month after month. I, I thought that when I moved to Vermont, like my bills wouldn't follow me. I thought they were just going to keep going to 23 Pleasant Street in Salem, but who knows? They found me, right? <laughs> bills are real. It's funny how, you know, there could be so much problem with, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, People, people not getting our checks or payments and all this stuff, and there could be a lot of problems with you know setting up accounts and everything. But there never seems to be a problem with getting the bill in the mail, does there? They can find you pretty quickly. But we know that bills are real. We know that health problems are real. And is Mona here today? Mona, are you here? 
She's not here today. No, she's oh, here. She, there you are, Mona. So, Mona's a rock star. Can I just say that? So, we did some work out in the front yesterday. We're not done yet, but did she do a great job out there in front? Yeah. So, Jonah and I are out there helping her. Now, Mona's, I'm not, she's a lady, I'm not going to say her age, but she's... She's, she's up in age. She's up in age, right? So she's out there working. I'm out there with a shovel, and you know, I had to take about 50 aspirin this morning. You know, my shoulders hurting me, and, and Mona, she was just going for hours digging up stuff and, and weeding and everything. And Joan and I, it's like, I don't know how many aspirin he took, but like, I took about 50 for my shoulder, you know? And so health problems are real. We know that's real, right? Do we know that God is real? Do we experience God as real? And speaking of God, and speaking of the Bible, we know that the Bible presents to us a way in which we ought to live, but are we really living that way? Are we really being transformed into the woman or the man that we know we're supposed to be, and if we're not being transformed, my question today is, why are we not being transformed? I'm talking about the difference between, between belief and reality. What are we experiencing as real? We know that we go to school, we go to work, and we get the bills and our health and taking care of our house and all this. This is real stuff, and we are experiencing that as real. But are we experiencing God as real this morning? When all we have to go on is doctrine, devoid of any kind of real experience, then our faith has little power to make us any different from non-Christians. I want to say it again. When we're just going on doctrine, when we're just going on belief, devoid of any experience of God, then more often than not, our faith has little power to make us different from non-Christians. Think about it. It's not surprising to learn that for most American Christians, faith has very little practical influence in their lives. It makes very little difference in their lives. And there's a lot to that, but what I'm suggesting today is because we've made it just an intellectual, academic God that we try to figure out. And when we can't figure it out, we have a crisis of our faith. See, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something. I'm going to get a little preachy to you today. Is that all right? Yeah, sure. All right. So we, there's elections coming up, and we hear about, you know, our Christian values and and being able to be a Christian, to worship, and, and we hear about, it's around election time, and we talk about you know bringing God back in our schools, and bringing God back in our government, and that's not a bad thing, but I wanna, I wanna tell you something today. I wanna tell you what I believe about that today. We talk about how the Christians have lost their right to do things, and how God, we, we, he's not in the schools anymore, and he's not in the government anymore, and, and I'm gonna say, that it's not because the government took them from us, but it's because the church stopped experiencing God as real. We are the ones who gave it up. That's what I believe. 
think about it. You can agree or disagree. But if the church, if the church all these years was experiencing God as real, would we find ourselves in the position that we find ourselves in today? You see, we can blame the government. We can blame the president. We can blame the governor. We can blame the laws. But I want to tell you something today. That we don't need a law to bring God back to America. Amen. Right. Amen. Say amen or ouch. That's right. Now, I just think that's good preaching right there. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. That's good preaching right there. We don't need a law to bring God back. Right. And a law can keep God from America. Come on, do we believe in the God of the Bible or not? Or are we just hoping that the next president is going to do it for us? No. Come on, say amen or have something today. What I'm suggesting is that we are using the government as a scapegoat for the real crisis that we are having a problem experiencing God as real. We know it to be true in our head. And we present, we present Christianity as well. If you just believe the right things, you're going to go to heaven. And I'm not doubting that. But friends, there's more to salvation than just belief today. That's right. Amen. Amen. There is an experience that we have. And what I'm getting at, what I want to get at the next few weeks is, why aren't we experiencing God as, as this real God? As part of our lives. Why isn't he making a significant difference in our lives? We have to ask that question. No matter where we at, where I'm at today, in one sense I can say, you know what, I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at today in, in God. But in another sense, there's so much more I want of God. Amen. Amen. So much more I want to experience of God. We find ourselves in America, as I said, we find ourselves in America hoping or blaming the government to make the change or for making a change. When I think that it's the church that makes the change. You cannot legislate morality. This needs to come from us. We have all the tools that we need here in America. We are an informed church. We are informed, aren't we? We have all the books, all the seminars, all the teachers, all the TV preachers, all the stuff. We have it all. And, and by the way, I'm all for it. I just bought a book yesterday on the, on the history of theology, you know. So I'm all for books, you know that. Read a book, read the Bible and learn, amen. I'm, I'm all for it, but we are so informed but yet so impotent in America. Now come on, say amen or ouch. Amen. I need to hear from you. Uh, We're so impotent. Yeah, I say ouch. We have everything that we need, everything at your fingers. You can get any book on God you want by just Google it, and, and in 10 seconds you can have ordered it, and in two days it can be at your, at your door. But are we reading? And is our reading, or not just reading, are we learning? Are we listening to audiobooks? Are we learning? But the question is, are we being transformed? Are we getting to where God wants us to go? Us, the informed American church. It's like these three men that were 
taking a, taking a hike and they came across uh, this raging river. And they couldn't get across. And so the first guy said, Oh Lord, give me the strength to cross the river. And poof, God gave him these huge arms and legs and he started to swim across this raging river. But it took him two hours. And he almost drowned twice, Tom. When he got to the other side, his lungs were so full of water, he was gasping and he was coughing up water. And so the other guy, the next guy, he saw that and said, Lord, give me strength and the tools to cross the river. And so, poof, he had arms and legs and a boat that was there. And he got in the boat, and he started going across this raging river, Adam, and he got to the other side, but he almost capsized twice. And he almost died in the torrent of this raging river. And he made it carrying his canoe to the other side. He was exhausted. And the third guy, he looked at the guy who almost drowned. He looked at the guy who was almost capsized. And he said, Lord, give me the strength. Lord, give me the tools. Lord, give me the intelligence to get across this. And poof! A break. God turned him into a woman. Yeah. <laughs> and she took out her map and saw that there was a bridge 100 yards up the road. Walked there and crossed. Yes. Because you know what? I'm still going to try to swim the river. I don't care what you say. But we have all the tools. But are we getting to where we're supposed to be? And God is speaking to us today, not just to be informed. You see, as I'm still setting the table for God's Word, I promise I'm getting there. I know some of you are saying, well, Pastor, are you going to preach the Word? I'm getting there in a moment. I'm just setting the table for us today. See, what the church has been doing, what we have been presenting as the answer to this is, Rena, just try harder. If you're not being transformed, Rena, try harder. Do more. More stuff. More prayer. More classes. More meetings. More of this. Try harder, people. This is, maybe not in so many words, but this is the message that the church is getting across. If you're not being transformed, if you're not experiencing God, you're just not trying hard enough, Jody. Yeah. you got to try harder. Where's that getting us? I try, I try, I try, I try. Tired. That's where it's getting us. I'm tired, Pastor. Because the trying harder message doesn't work. Striving to achieve what we ought to be based on sheer willpower is fatiguing. Especially when these oughts, these oughts of you ought to live like this and you ought to live like that, is flying in the face of what we are experiencing as real in our lives. The try harder approach that people like me have been guilty of, pastors like me, because I have done that. Just try harder. You're not doing enough. I've looked at some of my years pastoring in the past and would have to say I'm guilty. But the do more, try harder approach 
Number one is unfulfilling, and number two, it's just not biblical. Try harder to be transformed. Your life isn't what you want to be. You're not like Jesus, like you really want to be. Try harder. Dig in deeper. It's unbiblical. The Christian experience cannot be manufactured through effort. Amen. Now, Galatians chapter 5. You know this verse. You might have heard it before. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there's no law. What's the connection between all that I just said about imagination, experiencing God, our lack of experience with God, and the futility of the try-harder approach? How does that connect with Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit? I'm glad you asked. Somebody's asking, right? Thank you. I just needed one. I just needed one. So here we go. The first thing I just want to say right off the bat, and it didn't hit me until this morning, wrote it in late in my notes here, is that Galatians chapter 5, this is called, let me say, what this is not called is the fruit of trying harder. <laughs> this is not called, Jenny, the fruit of what you can do yourself. This is not the fruit of Dave Bonevitz. Right? It's not the fruit of candy. It's the fruit of what? The Spirit. The Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. We miss that simple truth. Because you see where I'm going, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm going to do, I'll just tell you right now, is that we look at the fruit of the Spirit and we think it's the fruit of Brian. It's like, if Brian just tries hard enough that he'll get this fruit. And what I'm going to tell you today is that is. That's what I have preached in the past, and that's what I spent decades trying to do. But that is just not what this is saying. It's not the fruit of you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. Yeah. The fruit of the Spirit. Are you hearing me today? Yes. Now, here's the one thing that I want you to remember. The fruit of the Spirit is about who we are in Christ, not about how we need to behave. Amen. Think about it. You're like, well, wait, is that true? So, if you're questioning, like, okay, it's good. I'm glad you're questioning. Am I saying that love, joy, peace, patience, like you shouldn't behave that way? I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is that the presentation usually of the fruit of the Spirit is something you have to go and get. What I'm saying to you is that the fruit of the Spirit is who you are in Christ. And I have good news for you today. Stop trying to do something you were never intended to do. You can, by sheer willpower, in and of yourself, produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's not just something that you can manufacture of yourself because it's not your fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes to live inside you, when you become a Christian, friends, I'm telling you today, you get the whole package. 
It's not like God just gives you peace and the rest you better just go and try harder and make it work. And if you don't, well, then you just failed. And you're a horrible Christian. That's not what the Bible's saying at all, but that's how we approach it. Something that you have to produce. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And friends, I want to tell you, stop. Stop trying to do something you were never intended to do. Something that the Spirit of God has already given to you. Fruit is about our identity in Christ, not about our behavior. In other words, it's about what you already have, not what you need to do. In other words, behavior flows from identity. Behavior flows from identity. Think about it. We, mostly because, again, pastors are telling you to do so, we are putting the, 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 the horse before, the, the cart before the horse. We are telling you, and I've heard the message so many times that it's ingrained in you, that if you'll just do the right thing, Aaron, then the fruit will come. If you just try hard, and you do it in and of yourself, then the Spirit of God will, will do these things in you. We approach it like, well, let's pick one of the fruit randomly. How about patience? Because we're all very patient people, right? <laughs> none, of us, none of us are impatient. Are you almost done? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So just randomly, patience. Patience is an easy one. We all got it. But we might say, Lord, I need patience. And so, I'm going to try to be more patient. And you know what? With sheer willpower, we can make changes in our lives. But again, what I want to ask you the question is, how are we significantly, significantly different from those who don't know Christ? Because isn't there supposed to be a difference? Yes. I'm not saying people who don't know Christ aren't great and awesome people because they are some of them right some great people that are not Christians great humanitarian beautiful people absolutely but there should be a difference right and so if we're just trusting in our own willpower oh I need patience I'm going to try to be patient I'm going to try to be patient well good luck with that and you might get some success but good luck what I'm suggesting to you is that what we need to do is begin to understand that patience is already something that God has given us. Amen. You see, we're putting the cart before the horse. You see, it's who you are in Christ that empowers what you do in Christ. We flip it. We say, well, it's what I do that, 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 that influences who I am in Christ. And on my good weeks, I'm a good, I'm a good Christian. But on my bad weeks, then I'm a bad Christian. And it's all going back to our performance. Listen, the good news today for you guys is you don't have to perform for God. Ooh. 
You don't have to perform. Stop trying to do something you were never intended to do. You can't grow the fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Come on, think about it. You can't grow the fruit. If you could, then why? Why would we need God at all? Amen. It's abiding in the vine. <coughs> this is something that only God can do in our life. The try-harder myth assumes that what a believer does determines who a believer is. The truth is just the opposite, that godly behavior flows from a believer's identity. It's identity that transforms behavior. What I want to try to encourage you to do today, through the anointing of the Word and the Holy Spirit to touch your life right now, is I want to get back to this experience thing. Experiencing God. Is that when we experience God as a reality in our life, when we experience God as something as real as our bills, as our health, as our home, like He's a concrete real part of our life. When we experience God as real, we will experience ourselves as who we really are in Him. Instead of tr stop trying to instead of trying to perform our way into being someone that God loves or that God could use. Friends, today, we do not have to perform. The fruit of the Spirit is not something that you can grow, but it is the fruit of the Spirit. These exhortations in the New Testament, what I mean by that is these parts of the New Testament that tell us, that say, you ought to live like this. And this is how you should be living. Those parts, the exhortations, when the Bible says, do this, you need to do this. These exhortations in the New Testament are not given on the basis of what we are not, but on the basis of who we already are in Christ. And so when the Bible says that your life should be full of love and joy and peace and patience and, and faithfulness and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, it's not saying, well, get out there and, and, and earn it and work for it and try to make it happen. The Bible is saying that this is already who you are in Christ. The question is today, do you see yourself that way? How do you see yourself in Christ? And by the way, this is why I started out the service talking about imagination, because in your mind's eye, and there's pictures in your eye, whether or not you want to call that imagination, whatever, I know imagination, we tend to think, well, it's fake and fairy tale and all that stuff, but isn't there a part of you where you form pictures of yourself? And when, isn't there a part of you where you have a, a picture of God? And maybe your God is like Gandalf, you know, the old wizard with the hat. Whatever your God is, a bright light, or whatever God is, that's your imagination when you're forming a picture of something that you cannot see. When you see who you are in Christ, imaginatively, 
What are you seeing? Who are you seeing? Too often what we see about ourselves is someone that is broken down or unworthy or dirty. Someone who's not performing well. And what I'm saying to you is that the image that we need to have of ourselves, of yourself in Christ, is this beautiful tree that's bearing fruit because God put it there for you. You need to see yourself as someone who's bearing fruit. As someone who has all the fruit of the Spirit. Are you hearing me today? You're not a barren tree. You're a tree that's full of fruit. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is not something where you go to the grocery store and buy it, but it's already growing in your garden. Now, come on, we have some gardeners here, don't we? I think just about everybody here in Vermont has had a garden at one point in time. I feel so far behind everybody, you know? But it's fun. But we're all gardeners. Most of us are gardeners, or we know someone on the farm or, or something like that. Listen. The fruit of the Spirit is already growing in your garden. Do you believe that? Alright. I can tell you don't. So let me let me You're planting a garden, right? Your point, what you have to do is you till the ground somehow, right? You break up the ground? Right? Tell me if I'm wrong. I mean I'm doing this right, correct? Till up the ground. And then you Fertilized soil. And then what you do is you take the seed and you put it in the soil, right? Amen. A little bit, some further than others, and you space them apart. And all. See, this was my first garden. You would have laughed, but when I was planting my garden this year, you know, I actually had a ruler out there. And I was, <laughs> I was managing. All right, this seed packet says it has to be six inches from each other. So I had my ruler out, and I was you know, like, I want to do this right. And then I found out that later that this is really humiliating for me for, to, uh, to admit that, isn't it? But you guys probably don't do it with rulers. But I did. I didn't know what I was doing. But, you know, we plant the seed in the ground. And we do all that. And some of you cover it with some hay or grass or whatever. And, you know, you do all that stuff. But is there a one of you that can make that seed in the ground start growing? Is there a one of you that can do that? No. This is the point. You cannot do that. Spiritually, we're making that mistake. Yes, we you know we need to read our Bible and pray and fellowship and worship and, and all the spiritual disciplines to, to help our soil be good, but we are trying to make that fruit, that seed grow. You're trying to do something that you were never intended to do, and you cannot do. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Just like you cannot make that seed grow. You can't at that moment get in there and, and produce something out of that. This is something that only God can do. Only God can bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in your life. It is totally independent of how hard you're trying. Friend, it's there. It's there. You just 
have to begin to experience and see and understand and believe the fact that that is a spiritual truth. That the fruit of the Spirit is something that Christ has already done in your life. I want to read another scripture to you today as I get ready to close. And from Romans chapter 6, we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. <coughs> Is that verse talking about a process? Like, is there something, Dave, that you can add to that? Like, you've been set free from sin. You know Christ is your Savior. You're set free. Does, does Jesus need your help to do that? Is there something you can do to make that better? It's done. We've been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him... We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. Hallelujah. For death, He died. He died to sin once and for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God and Christ Jesus. You must consider yourself this is that imagination that I'm talking about. Do you consider yourself? Do you view yourself? Do, do the, is the picture that you have of yourself before God as one who is already alive to God? Is your guard, Do you view yourself as someone who your garden is already growing? Or do you, do you look at yourself as a weed bed? Too many of us look at ourselves as a weed bed. This picture that we have in your mind. And Satan is telling you, Jonathan, that's right. You're, you know, you are a weed bed. There's nothing growing. So get out there and pull the weeds and get it done. Try harder. Do more. It's a trap, friend. Don't, grow, don't go there. Because the fruit is already growing. The work of Christ has already been done. You have been set free from sin. You are already alive to God in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. That's the Bible. You are considering yourselves alive. There's nothing that you can do to add to that or to make it more real or to make it more better. Pardon my grammar. You cannot do anything to that. It's already done. Do you see yourself as that way? Are you experiencing yourself that way? When you leave this place, do you have a picture of yourself as a tree full of, full of fruit, a garden full of fruit? It's already there. Or are you going to leave here today thinking, i got to do more. i got to try harder. Maybe the Spirit of God will just tap you on the shoulder right now. <clears throat> And say, hey, guess what? It's not your fruit, it's my fruit. And it's already there. It's already there, friends. The fundamental problem with sin, as the worship team comes up and begins to help me close, 
The fundamental problem with sin is that we do not experience ourselves as we truly are in Christ. We do not experience our identity in Christ. We do not consider ourselves alive to God, but we consider ourselves a work in, pro in, in progress. Can I just press pause and say, I know that in a sense we all are in a work in progress. We all are growing in Christ. Amen? Amen. But in terms of what God has done for us in Christ, friends, you are not a work in progress. It's done. There's nothing more, look at thing went this way, there's nothing more that Christ can do for you, Scott. There's nothing more that He has to do for you. Everything that Jesus needed to do for you, He's already done on the cross. Amen. 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 The fundamental problem with sin is that we do not experience ourselves as alive in Christ. We do not consider ourselves fully alive to God. But we have an unbiblical view of ourselves. And we allow Satan to come to us and to lie to us and say, See, you never were any good. You don't have, you're incomplete. You haven't tried hard enough. And today, through the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can let that go. We can let it go. See, it all comes back to how it started with, with experiencing God. And we, we have lost touch with, with God. We've made it an intellectual enterprise. We've made it an academic experience. And friends, today I want to urge you to get back to experiencing God, and I want to try to help you to do that over the next few weeks, but it starts with experiencing yourself as you really are in Christ. We need to see ourselves as God sees us and understand our true identity because it is our identity that transforms our behavior. Identity transforms our behavior, not your performance. It's amazing grace, how sweet the sound, right? Amen. It's not amazing work harder. How good that works. That's not the way the song goes. It doesn't work. <coughs> but the enemy's trying to trap you into that. And today we're going to let that go. And believe what the Bible speaks to us about our identity in Christ. And we're going to let our identity, the fruit of the Spirit that's already there, to transform our behavior. Amazing grace. If you're here today and you've never experienced God at all in your life, If you're sitting here today and you say, Pastor Guy, you know, I don't even know if I have a relationship with God. I've never even really considered myself a child of God. 
Friends, I have good news for you today. This can change in just a moment. It can change in just a decision. You can give your life to Christ today. I didn't just say you could join this church and everything's going to be great and you're... It's not about joining the church. It's about where's your allegiance? My allegiance is to Christ. My life is to live for Christ. Like many in this room, I have confessed my sins, confessed that I'm a sinner. Confessed that Jesus Christ, the Messiah of God, is my Savior, and that He has forgiven my sins, washed my sins, but not only that, has put His Holy Spirit inside of me, and inside of me is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, not because I have earned it or performed it, because Christ gave it to me, and my life has changed. And I believe I'm a new creation. And I believe I'm a child of God. Amen? Amen. And I believe that someday my life is going to be with Jesus forever and ever. I have no fear of my eternity, for I know that I will be with God. And I have great joy in this life, even through the trials, because I know that Jesus loves me. If you would like to have that kind of faith today, I'm not setting myself up as a, as a giant in the faith, but there are many in this room who would echo the exact same words that I had. But if you'd like to have that faith in Christ today, it is your decision to make right now. And it is, it is a decision of submission and surrender. Because yes, 100%, you need to submit and surrender to Christ for Him to come near to you forgive your sins. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed as I do at every service to afford people some privacy because this is a life-changing moment. It is a very personal and intimate moment between you and Jesus. It's not about you and this church. This is about you and Jesus. And do you know Jesus today? As I understand it, the Bible as I understand the Bible, Jesus Himself said, I am the Son of God. I am the Savior of the world. You must be born again. You must have faith in Me. This is what the Bible says. So Jesus is either a lunatic. He was either a raving lunatic out of His mind. He was a liar. He was just trying to scam us. Or He is who He actually said He is. And He's Lord. And if he's a lunatic or a liar, well then, you have nothing, there's no decision to make today. But what, what if he's right? What if he's right when he said, there is no other way for you to get to God the Father than through me? What if he's right today? What if he really is Lord? What if He is the only way? <clears throat> Would you come to Him today? This is a coming home moment. And there might be someone in this room today or even listening on Facebook, watching on Facebook. You want to come home to God today. You want to give your life to Christ today. 
There's people all around in this room right now praying for this moment. We've all made the same decision. We're praying for you right now. For that person who's here today, you do not know Christ as Lord and Savior. I want to give you that opportunity in the privacy of this moment to raise your hand right now. Say, Pastor Guy, I want to accept Christ as my Savior. Again, you're not joining this church. I'm not going to make you stand up or do anything or say anything. I just want by an upraised hand to know who I'm praying for today. Believing and hoping for one, like I do every week. Not for a trophy to put on my shelf, but because we want souls to come to Jesus. Is there one today? For the first time you're coming home. I'm trusting that someone watching is making this decision for Christ right now. We've been praying all week for salvation. Someone would come to Christ, and I've got to believe these prayers are being answered. I'm not seeing any hands in this place. One more time, I'm just going to ask anybody. Amen. Well then, as our worship team plays this song in just a moment, you can look up.